thank you so much for joining me today in this episode. Right off the bat, I want to say thank you to the people who have been um, patrons of the show. I very rarely speak about this um, and it's something that I really need to improve on. But um, that being said, uh, you've got no idea how grateful I am for your support. And I just, words cannot describe how grateful I am for that. And all of the people who have supported me in the past year and a half, um, including for um, the YouTube channel, The Bellman Report, which is really where I come from um, during this uh, pandemic era that we've been through. That's where it all started for me. Uh, So those people who have supported me in that way, but financially, I, I just want to say, I, I couldn't have done it without you. So a very, very big thank you to all of you. Okay, so since we got that out of the way, uh, today I'm here with a very special person, Greg Martin. He's an Aboriginal leader from Perth. I would call him a leader. Greg, um, tell me if I'm wrong, but um, you're, to me, a very inspirational guy, mate. Um, you have attended all of the freedom rallies and you speak often at them and I mean geez with the the past uh, rally that was only a week or so ago uh, you really really had the crowd behind you and it was a very very powerful speech today um, we're speaking about the voice Um, I've been wanting to talk about this with you for quite some time and I think uh, this is going to be a very interesting conversation Greg, uh, thank you so much for joining me on The Eight News Show. My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. Um, well, you're not the – it's not the first time you've been on The Eight News Show. You've been um, – we've done a few things together in the past and actually we went to Wittigen together, the Wittigen Conference in, in Alice Springs – and I think I might just throw up a couple of photos from there. <laughs> um, that was a great time. It was an adventure, wasn't it? It was an adventure, mate. And those first, what was it, two or three days that we were in the car together? Yeah. Just, it was like three days, I think, the first three days, you and I, yeah. just you and I, um, with um, with Daisy the dog. Uh, anyway, moving on, mate, the voice. I'm really, really interested in this subject and I know that it's one of the hottest topics going at the moment. Um can I start? Cool. Can we start by talking about at sick? I think there's going to be. I, th- I think a lot of people, including myself, um, won't know about that. Um, that's the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission. Yes, yes. now defunct. Now, now defunct. Um, and when did it start? When's this from? What era is this from? Like the eighties? It was the. Late nineteen seventies until the mid mid eighties, mid eighties. It was the biggest black bureaucracy you know, the state the, the the nation's ever seen, mm. and it, it most of the funding, which was a billion dollars a year, that's one thousand million dollars a year in the eighties. In, in the, the late, it was yeah. part. Of, it's a lot of money for back then. It was a lot, and a lot of it went through by the administration. A lot of that billion dollars paid the wages of people that were um, employed by the by the ATSIC um, commission. Commission, and um, and of course the managers and the 
regional managers and the chairs and chairpersons of the various regions, they were paid, paid a, a fat lump sum of money mm. um, to get out there and be the voice for the Blackfellas back in the day, back in the 1970s. When you were a young fella? Oh, yes, <laughs> when I was much younger than I am today. Mm. Um that was during the Paul Keating and Bob Hawke years um, and then leading up in the late 1990s when John Howard's coalition came to power, they totally defunded the whole organisation. So what we're seeing now is, a, you know, a rerunning of the old policies from the 70s and 80s. Um the political whims of the Labor Party um, reinventing the wheel through a voice, which is, you know, it's been modelled on the old ATSIC commission. Yeah. Of course, John Howard decided to um, defund him, the uh, ATSIC commission, for the epic amount of corruption mm. and public spending that this elephant in the room had created over time. As I said, it was a billion dollars a year and most of that billion dollars were paid for the wages for the support staff and the administrative staff, you know. And it was, it was every man and his dog just taking a, um, a, a freebie basically. Yeah, and very little of it, you know, filtered down into the grassroots. Uh, the trickle-down effect just didn't happen. It was blocked and cut off it, you mm. know, way up in the food chain. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is what The Voice is all about. So the people that they were there to represent never got actually represented? <laughs> they never got. It was, you know, self-interest, self-appointment, self-elected mm. people, greed. Yeah. What you would expect from a um, a situation where the government puts a, 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 an organisation in power that was never properly considered or set up correctly in the first place, um, it just turned into like a feeding frenzy. <laughs> Big crap and feed fest, yeah. Yeah. And it never actually represented the Indigenous well, a lot of peoples. Some of the commissioners and some of the um, regional managers actually went to prison, you know, for wow, really? misappropriating funds, yeah. for funneling um, funds into their own, you know, not-for-profit not organisations. Do you, do you know, Greg, was there any good ever done by them or was there a little bit of good done by them? Was there anything positive that came out of it? No, it was just window dressing. Um, a lot of people made a lot of money out of it. Was, at that point in time, I think there were some of those ATSIC commissioners and ATSIC managers, they were on quite a, lump, a good wage, you know, eighty to $100,000 a year. And Yeah, and that was a lot of money back then. Back in the 70s and 80s, that was quite a sum of money. Yeah. yeah. They were the fat cats, you know, of the bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you'd only see them when the elections came around. Yeah. They'd be doing door knocking and they'd be out there campaigning. You vote for me, get my family behind me and vote for me. Right. It's a big cesspool of corruption. Okay. The next question I want to ask you, and we're, we're developing a picture here, hopefully. 
Um, can you tell me about the Uluru Statement? Uh, the Uluru Statement, what I believe it was in, what, five or six years ago? Mm-hmm. I think 2016 or 17. Something like that, yeah. I, I can't tell you much about it because it was a secret operation. Mm. Um, not many people at the grassroots level had known about it. Uh, not many uh, blackfellas that I knew had the ability to get across there. Some people were funded. Other people were um, had the had the uh, capacity to get across over there. On, on you know, to be a part of it. To be a part of it. If they knew about it in the first if place, people had known about it. Yeah. Had people you know um, had the ability to digest what was trying to evolve from this Uluru statement. But as I said, Andrew, it was a top secret, top secret operation. Mm. Um, it was virtually restricted from the rest of the communities around the country. Uh, and from, from what I can gather, it's these people are the hangover or the leftovers from ATSIC. Yep. The power mongers, the greedy, the ones who want power and position, the bureaucrats, they very rarely got down to the community level, the grassroots level and, you know, uh, in the in the campaign they just set up, uh, how could I put it, created the... Um, Created the field, but the players never came. So, for example, would um, I mean, how much do you know about this Mick Gooder? Is he, is he one of those people, one of the leftovers, one of the people that's still there in power? I mean, he's been very vocal on uh, mainstream media recently. Um, I, I, I can't, I can't be sure, but I'm sure he's been a bureaucratic public servant for a long time. Quite a long time, yeah. Um, and now the masters have said to him, you know, um, mm. when I say jump, you say how high. Um, mate, as as a person who's uh, just been, I guess, uh, following mainstream media or, or should I say current affairs quite closely for a very, very long time, I've only got a... Um, take one look at that bloke and that's that's what screams to me. The, <laughs> there's, a, yeah. there's not only Mick Gooder, there's a number of dog whistlers out there. Yeah. Uh, that uh, virtue signaling out there that people don't even know about. They've been um, hidden away in their government bureaucratic office, tucked away waiting for their moment to sing mm. and they're singing at the top of their voice at the moment. Yeah. Um, they've given up all their true principles, their beliefs, their identity and yeah. they're, they're in full swing into this campaign. And they're out there saying that they represent the Indigenous people or the original people. So, yeah. Show us some signatures. Show, yeah, exactly. So, show me how many... How many signatures were you? Were people that voted for you, or elected you, or even 
said that, you know, you can represent me. Yeah. No, it's... It, it, it's one of those situations, again, where, um, you know, they are clearly agents of the government. Clearly. And and yet they they present themselves and the media presents them as representatives of the people. As I said, you know, show me some some data, some statistics, how many people elected you, how many people nominated you, yeah. how many people do you represent, do you have their signature, do you have it on a piece of paper? Mm. Yeah. You know, like, as I said. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to your constituents? <laughs> yeah. uh, how often? Uh, how many of them are you speaking to? Yeah, exactly. Um, mate, it's, uh, it's so typical, isn't it? So what about um, – Let's talk a little bit about the voice because I, I know we're going to just chat and chat and chat. We actually did, everyone. We did, uh, we did about uh, half an hour of talking before we actually have started this podcast, and the, um, I'm sure I'm going to put a clip of that up at the at the intro of the video. But um, it's just the sort of thing that you can talk about all day. Uh, Greg, I want to ask you now that we've set that scene. How is the voice referendum going to be different this time in your mind? Well, you know, people are older and wiser. Um, People can now see a snake oil salesman when they see him. Uh, And as much as people get on that podium and jump up and down saying, I'll give you this and I'll do this for you and it's going to be fantastic. You know, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, With ATSI, that other failed enterprise, that other voice that Mm. was supposed to be an advisor to the parliament. The Uluru Statement. Yeah. I mean, Mm. by reinventing the wheel, we are going backwards. We're not being progressive. Uh, We now know the history of how that evolved mm-hmm. and we see the same campaign going on now. Same people involved. Same people, same hangovers, same yeah, same same movie reruns. Are these people receiving a lot of money from the government, do you think? My guess is that they are. My guess is that they are. People don't get out on the road and do a thing for nothing. I mean, we did it last last year. We went up to the Wurrigan Conference. We, you know, put all our money together and yeah, went on that conference. Our meet up with meet up with other blackfellas. All the of country. the people that were there did that, but it got no media coverage whatsoever. We had no um, even financial support whatsoever from any government agencies. And, and that was that was real people getting together. Um. To grassroots. talk together, grassroots, no media coverage, no media support, all done by the grassroots. Yeah. Um, but, but even the invites, you know, to go onto the mainstream media shows, they're picking the same old customers, you know. Mm. So we'll, we'll Were there, though? Were there for Willigen? No, not for Willigen. No, 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 no. There weren't. There wasn't. No. And it was a big event and there's no way they could have missed that because um, the there were some pretty high-profile people there. Sure was. Um, yeah. 
a lot of these actors, you know, they're acting on behalf of the government. They're getting paid a good wage by the government. These are the voice campaigners, what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't think they've ever, well, other, the only thing they can quote is going to that, um, to the, to the Alice for the Uluru Statement, and that was a secret operation mm. uh, behind closed doors and uh, kept secret from the rest of the people. Yeah, and have you heard about, um, I mean, there's been a little bit of coverage on it. I think Sky News has covered this. You've got real um, Indigenous leaders coming from remote areas of the country to Canberra to meet with the government on this subject and they can't even get a meeting. Can't even get half an hour. It's insane. It's it's crazy. It's insane that um when you pick a when the when the their masters, the political masters have the have, are using our money mm. and, you know, through the goods and service tax. Everybody pays a goods and service tax, so everybody's got a claim to say that's our money. Absolutely. Um, they're using our money to pick and choose who they want to say and what they want to say. And um, it's, it's insane. It's incredibly discriminatory. And yet, it's all about um, not being. It's all about being in- inclusive, but it's all a sham. It's a sham. It's a sham. It, it, it is a sham. So, mate, if you were, if look, this is all about a constitutional change. If you were going to make a real constitutional change in your mind, how would we go about it? If this was going to be a real thing. And if it was going to make a real difference, just I know this is a very, very deep question. Um, you don't have to like outline it to the T. I'm just asking for a bit of a comment from you on this. Where would you start? Because I don't think we've even gotten anywhere close to starting yet. Well, I think it was in 2017. I, <clears throat> I'm on public record saying that there's a constitutional crisis. Um, what really is a constitutional crisis is when certain parts of that constitution are either not working, not being used, or they're being abused. Um, in what I what I was saying in. 2017 was it there's a constitutional crisis. People can reflect back to the 1980s during Brian Burke's era as the Premier of the state. Mm-hmm. Brian Burke, I, I, I'm not sure if he passed on or not, but uh, Brian Burke and a few of his cabinet ministers, they fronted up to a, um, a royal commission called WA Inc., which means WA Incorporated. And they had a big investigation about the misappropriation of money and funds to do with Alan Bond. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And 
other other interests where the, the state actually became in debt. They took on the debt of Allen Bond through Bell Resources. and But it was a royal commission called WA Inc., which means incorporated bodies had had uh, had this temerity to steal a, a billion dollars from the state. And at that time in the 1980s, a billion dollars was a lot of money and it took a long, long time to pay that debt off. A billion dollars is a lot of money now. Now, if we reflect on uh, incorporating when someone becomes incorporated, prior to, to that era, most... Um, Aboriginal organisations, blackfellow organisations, they became not-for-profit, not-for-profit organisations. They were incorporated as not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the fallout from that WA Incorporated was um, the land, you know, through the native title process had become incorporated you know, through the Native Title Tribunal and for people coming up. And Now, we know that incorporating something is is unlawful. Some members of Brian Burke's cabinet went to prison. Um, Laurie O'Connell, Julian Grill, I think, spent time in prison. And Brian Burke, I think he spent about 18 months in prison. And the mastermind was uh, Alan Bond, he's 18 months in prison yeah, for, he, it, yeah. for misuse and abuse of, you know, public funds and the state's money, yeah. the state's assets and resources. Well, we're going through this incorporated thing again. There's been a incorporations springing up all over the place to do with land and to do with um, native title to do with resources. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that they're fundamentally flawed and unlawful uh, through the native title process. So if we, if, we, if we keep incorporating, incorporating or diving into these incorporations when we know that they're... But, uh, Corrupted and flawed, and not um, lawful, because our land, as I said to you once before, Andrew, is under natural law. Um, by becoming incorporated and creating a corporation, they're taking something and incorporating something that is not under their ownership and control, which yep. is the, it's the, the land is our inheritance for First Nations people. Mm-hmm. And it's our culture, it's our lifestyle, it's our religion. And um, these incorporated bodies are stealing our inheritance and stealing our, our culture and... So you're saying that it's like a um, a colour of law type of thing. It's um, a- attempting to convince people that it's all legal and lawful, but it's not because – and I, I actually agree with you. 
uh, you people shouldn't be able to have complete control or ownership over something that should be owned by everybody. The, the collective. The yeah, collective. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. No one person has has the right to that control to buy, sell, or trade, or or uh, the collective lands that belongs to the tribe, which yep. is factored into natural law. And the way they get around this um, is to constantly dish out huge amounts of money to individual groups. In other words, these corporations or these incorporated peoples or groups, um, creating a perception of, of it being all justified. Being lawful, but it's not. Yeah. Any, any constructed law, <coughs> any constructive legislation that is in conflict with natural law is unlawful. Any law legislation that is um, uh, not in in step with the constitution, yeah, is unlawful. Yeah, it's not con- constitutionally lawful. And just to clarify the natural, the this concept of natural law, you're not talking about um, you know plants and animals. Nature, you're talking about the natural law of, which is something I love talking about, the natural law of um, the people and the expectation of the people, of the needs and the wants of the people. The, you know. Exactly. Um, in the, well, in, in the UK, uh, during the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, there was a feudal system of, Law uh, that was the natural law. How that natural law evolved over time. Mm-hmm. It was a violent law as well, mm-hmm. um, and the same as all the First Nations people here in this continent. You know, there was laws and mores that evolved over time, so that you know everybody was taken into consideration. Everybody had a say, and. Nobody could move forward until it had full uh, support from everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody knew those laws. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're not you're not talking about having everybody fully agree, but you're you're talking about finding um, a, a really proper, happy medium between all people, a situation where all people can. Uh, find a path within that agreed upon system. Is that what you're sort of saying? Yeah, look, um, we, tyranny, you know, when the the class systems from Europe, you know, when you've got upper, middle and lower class and working class, those systems of class that went all around the world um, through the colonial process, in in this continent, you know, there was no such thing as a class system. You know, there was no such mm. – there was – everybody knew the law, everybody was traded equally. Some people can speak for their land and other people, they could only speak for their own land or their claim to land. Mm-hmm. Um, with a class system and, and and what – with this voice is what, what's happening is what's going on is they're creating a class system a bureaucratic 
a black voice mm-hmm. and a lower class system of people on the grass, people on the land, people who live on the land. And so they're adopting this other system through the constitution and we we should not forget that in the constitution we any in the australian constitution everybody who was a first nations person and it's called aboriginal in in, in the constitution everybody they are subjects of the crown um a British subject, mm-hmm. which is a slave of the colony. Yeah. Um, anybody whether it was transported from the UK over here during the settlement phase, they were subjects of the crown. Like my family. And they were POMs, which is... Prisoner of Mother of England. Prisoners of His Majesty's Service. Yes. P-H-O-M-S. Um, and the, they was they got sentenced for things like stealing bread to survive, um, mm-hmm. pickpocketing, just survival things. They were sent to a faraway land where they knew nobody and they had to be a slave to the king to survive and get their freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So unless we get rid of this constitution, because there's a constitutional crisis going on right now, we will forever be enslaved to that constitution and to the King of England. Right. So I think you, I think this is at the point where we can really start talking about the voice. In a, the voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess what you're saying is that if we're going to truly make a, a voice for the people and the uh, the original people, we really need to be looking at the entire constitution and building it back up from the ground, um, essentially rewriting the entire thing um, because otherwise the voice as we um, currently understand it uh, is really just another sham it's really just putting lipstick on the pig once again. And I think this is a, the time where I should put a statement to you that I feel like what's going on with this thing is ultimately going to create further division and um, really what the way I see it, it's just another divide and conquer technique because I believe that instead of creating unity or fixing a situation that currently exists or a problem that currently exists, it's actually going to create more problems because, look, tell me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand it, um, uh, in the future if this thing gets up, for anyone that lives in this land now, anything you want to do, like almost to the point where if you want to step out the front door, certainly if you want to go to the beach, 
or go anywhere in nature, which Australia's all, all about out the outdoors lifestyle, you're going to be putting your hand in your pocket to pay a fee or to pay a license because I'll guarantee you they're going to call it a license. It's the same as going getting a fishing license, right, to go fishing, which I, I, I'm not saying I don't support that uh, because you've got to, you know, look after the uh, – you got to look after the ecosystem and that pays for, for that to happen. But if I want to walk over the road and go to the beach, I'm going to be having to pay a fee to do that. And to me, I think that that's going to create a lot of um, backlash in the longer term. Look, back in the, back in the day um, when uh, in 1967, for instance, when um, – the referendum was held to allow people to be counted, you know, in the in the census and to be able to vote and to be accepted in society. You mean Indigenous people? Yeah, First Nation. Yep. And then, in, like that was that was the trigger for the land rights movement, you know, in the early nineteen seventies, the setting up of the uh, tent embassy in nineteen seventy two in yeah. Canberra. Uh, so every there was there was always a scare campaign. There was always this fearful sentiment going out, and they were saying things like, "Oh, they're going to come and take our backyards." Oh no! Right, the black people. You know, there will always be that scare campaign. So you, you're saying that I'm wrong. I'm happy for you to tell me I am. It's a fear campaign. Yeah, I, I can tell you that, but it's also um, the the powerful, the legislators, and that sort of thing. They are dividing and conquer, and they they want this voice to fail. Yeah, um, because of their own self interests. What I'm saying is that there is a constitutional crisis. Otherwise, why are you trying to have these referendums continuously? Yeah, to make these changes. The Plesibits, you know, for the um, same-sex marriage. Yeah. Why are we having these things? Why is uh, why is there high inflation? Why is there um, high taxation? Why is there, why is this constitution giving the power to the premiers of each state? to lock us into our homes for months at a time. Mm. This is a national crisis. It's a, it's a constitutional crisis and it involves everybody that lives and resides here. Yeah. I, I think by taking this approach of saying to people, oh, you know, come and sit next to us in this bureaucracy office and, and you know, you can tell us some advice. I don't have to take that advice. I can listen to the other 10 million people in the country and I'll still make that decision anyway. There is still this subjugation. There mm-hmm. is still this enslavement thing, you know, and it's factored into the Constitution. I agree with you. So my belief is that, you know, this Constitution is still stuck in the 18th century. We're in the 21st century. It is far removed from how people lived there and then at that era. We left that time before. We have now become 
more educated, you know, as a nation as a whole. There is industrialization that we've gone through since then. There's just the um, internet age that we've gone through recently. Mm-hmm. And now the artificial intelligence age that we're in now currently. These things were not available to the people in the 18th century. We need to construct a constitution that is relevant, not make amendments to one that still stuck in the 18th century, but create a new constitution so that we can preserve our freedoms. Mm. We can preserve our freedom of association. We can preserve our freedom of voice. What ho- um, you, You're raising some really interesting points, mate. What hope do you have that that could actually happen considering the fact that where, you, I mean, you, you just mentioned AI, we're rapidly entering, in fact, it's already here. It's just that it, uh, it isn't really seen just yet. But where uh, the smart cities, the infrastructure for the smart cities is being rolled out right now and... Um, my view on that is that um, we're going to we're already in a digital gulag. You know, people yeah. are addicted to social media, and uh, that's really controlling everybody's um, minds as well as the mainstream media. Um, it's constant social programming, constant social engineering, and um, and now we're entering this age where we're going to like literally have robots dictating uh, to us all how we can live, where we can go, when we can go and how we how we um, can do anything that we need to do in our lives. Uh, literally uh, inside our homes, at every point in your life, we are entering 1984. That's where we're at right now. Yeah. yeah. It's here. I think people just don't realise it. How do you think, with what you're talking about, um, rebuilding the constitution from the ground up, essentially what you're saying, uh, do you have any belief that that could actually take place? Number one, do you think that would ever that, that, that the powers that be would ever allow that to happen? And number two, if it did... Do you think that um, it would be possible to complete that task in a fair uh, and democratic way that was uh, right for all people? I think at, at this moment in time is right for a republic to be created. Ah, I, I'm, yes. I think uh, in the 1980s um, when they had a referendum for a republic. Mm-hmm. Paul Keating. It, it was, yeah, it had a predetermined outcome. Mm-hmm. It was, I think it was during the John Howard era, uh, but it was. Well, Paul Keating was the one that was pushing that. Um, he was pushing that re- republic. Yeah. I mean, we can now stand on our own two feet. We, uh, we yeah, don't, we, we don't, we don't have to be, sub- we yeah. don't have to be subjected to the British Empire's laws. We don't have to yeah. be subject to them. Um, America, they declared their independence from the empire back in 1776. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, our, how the history of this country is 
evolved over time. It, this voicing, if they can, you know, get a voice up for uh, special interest groups, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure they can have a referendum now for a republic. Um, and I think that us freedom fighters should be at the forefront of constructing this um, constitution for a republic. I mean, we should have a republic because everybody wants to come here and live because of what we've had here. Yeah. Um, the Brexit, the Brexit vote, people voted for that Brexit. You know, you're always going to be polarised, yes or no, polarised, yes or no. But, um, you know, I put it to the, to the Australian electorate out there that now is the time. Um, where everybody should have equal rights. I think uh, every man should be treated equally. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should have a class system. I don't think we should have a bureaucracy of people where there's creating classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be putting all my energy uh, with um, this voice if if I can say to people out there that are uh, uh, and I'll point out that I don't vote, I never have, and because of this constitution and how history has evolved and how we, how we are the First Nations people, how we've been treated and mistreated and mm-hmm. abused over time, yep. um, I won't support an animal like that. So you're just so, morally opposed to it? Absolutely, absolutely. That's, and I'm suggesting we should create a constitution that is that is relevant and yep. is just and fair to everybody that lives here uh, through a republic, um, a self determination ballot. Right. Um, if I, if wherever I travel, I see the disparity of wealth. I see the disparity in in um, living conditions. I I see it. There's uh, the homelessness and the, the people that that are people that are constantly going through this revolving door of prisons. Yep. You know, prisons where the rule of law doesn't exist. It doesn't. It doesn't function. And now that we're in this post-pandemic era, it's getting and way worse. It's getting way worse. Um, we're we're under the spotlight everywhere we go. Uh, facial recognition. Artificial intelligence, you know, it's gone too far. We need a human touch. We need to put the human rights back into our constitution. Yeah. We need to respect our humanity. Hey, and um, I just want to say for anyone who's listening to this going, oh, come on, that's got you, you're going a little bit too far. Here in Western Australia, there's, uh, I know for a fact that there's in an area called Joondalup, which is just north of where we are. They're um, rolling out some infrastructure on the highway uh, that hasn't been completely assembled just yet. At the moment, it looks like some really fancy light pole that's only about, you know, seven or eight feet tall. But um, a a person who I know uh, stopped, actually took the time to stop and have a look at this thing and took a photograph of the stickers that were on it. And it was um, something, words to the effect, Smart Systems Inc. Yeah. on it. Uh, that that's frightening. That's the that that that's going to be the scanner that checks to see whether people are inside their zones or not. 
ultimately. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it's happening everywhere. Um, I'm worried about this stuff. Absolutely. I really am. It doesn't get my vote, and you know, to be to have a, to be able to to be under scrutiny wherever you go. There's places in China where you guys, you guys, the Uyghurs, Uyghurs, they are, they've got a city completely built for them, and yeah. they've got cameras focused on every movement of their day. Oh, now, they, this that's is right. 1984. Right here, right now, with us now. Yep, and they go to re-education camps and get get beaten within an inch of their life until they uh, reassimilate. Yep, and reprogrammed their mind. Reprogrammed, yeah. Um, it's incredible. Isn't this it? was all predicted by George Orwell back in the nineteen fifties after the World War World War Two, mm. and it, people need to wake up. We need to put a stop to it. One of the last words he said. In an interview, George Orwell was, no, it's up to you. Don't let it happen. Mm, yep. Um, yep, and it is happening and no one really seems to care too much. It's insane that so many people are so focused on their own individual wealth and individual climbs up their social ladders and that they don't really understand what they're doing. Yeah. We need to wake up. We need to wake the heck up. Just going to take a quick break because I'm going to readjust your camera. Because we're not getting enough of your face, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let's kick that back into gear. Uh, righto. So do you think, um, hang on, let me start again. Do you think this yes vote is going to get up? A lot of a lot of people are confused. A lot of people are asking questions. A lot of people have been polarized in their in their uh, in this referendum. And I the propaganda machine has gone into overdrive and, you know, it looks attractive. It looks great. It looks like that's the way we should go into the future. But when you look behind that gold nose ring, you see a big, fat, sloppy, dirty pig. The pig with the golden nose ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and people haven't been completely honest with this campaign. They haven't been upfront about what the ulterior motive is. They haven't been upfront about, you know, the numbers within the First Nations community. They haven't been upfront about, you know, who elected them to speak for the voice. Or who's who's going to speak for our own individual voices? You're talking about people like this, Mick Gouda. Yeah, there's a number of people in the campaign that have really stepped up, um, mm. and you know we don't, we we don't hardly see them. You know, when they leave here or when they when they get off TV, we don't know where they live. You know, we don't 
they don't invite us around for the barbecues on a Sunday or they don't invite us around for social drinks, anything like that. You mean so the the original people don't really know who they are? Is that what you're saying? If they're not on TV and that sort of thing, what I'm saying is this this campaign to ram this thing through Parliament and through a referendum, there hasn't been enough, uh, uh, there's not a mandate coming from the people. This is coming from the top down. And we've seen how they fail so often in the past, any campaign that comes from the top down. We never used to have a GST, yeah. but now we've got it. It was rammed into us. We have to. Well, it, that's an interesting one. It went back and forth for about nine years. Yeah. Um, until people were sick of hearing about it. Originally, it would kept getting voted down, and then it went back uh, between the two parties, Liberal and Labor Party, and eventually it got up. And then we found out 20 years later that it was all part of a deal with the World Banking System or the International Monetary Fund, I think it was. It was all part of an agreement for a loan that Australia took out. It was a big sham, the whole thing. It was. What I'm saying is, you know, like if it comes to a republic, if it comes to a constitutional crisis, you know, we don't have them now, but there's nothing to stop us from having them in the future. If we can get, if we, if, if they can redress and put band-aids on a constitution that's not really relevant in this day and age. Yeah. You know, we can demand a const, we can demand a republic where we can create our own constitution, our own set of rules, our own taxation system, our own judicial system. Yeah. Instead of um, changing a constitution that um, originally or still does label original people as being flora and fauna. Yeah, we're not no longer flora and fauna. We can speak. Well, you never were. No. But, but that's how they treated you. So it's the same constitution that's it's in place today one. that we're now going to have this amendment to to try yeah. and fix this problem that has been tried over and over and over again with groups like ATSIC. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and these people are going to wave this magic wand and create this everlasting peace and this uh, utopia that <laughs> yeah. they've, they've seen in their minds, yeah. these snake oil salesmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the people that are in charge are the ones who are going to benefit and really it's only them. They're the only ones. The class, they're creating this class system and they don't want to be go leave that class system. The part that I'm having a hard time understanding is like they're, they're saying on the TV that um, this is going to be so that the original people can have a voice on decisions that affect them but actually every single decision affects them. That's how insane it is. It's hypocritical, you know. Um, every political decision that has been made in the past has been made on behalf of everybody here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know how this wonderful voice, this bureaucracy, can change that. 
it's it yeah it, have you looked into um some of the deeper issues like uh potential lawsuits that could take place if um the executive management of the government doesn't include the um the 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 voice committee whoever they happen to be because we still don't actually know who the members of the of it are going to be do we um if they're not consulted that there, there could be there could be serious legal implica- implications um and i guess coming back to what i just said a moment ago was that absolutely every decision that the government takes We'll have to be. We'll have to go through consultation with this imaginary committee. And therein lies the um, problem. They only have to consult. They don't have to take on board that advice. They're only an advisory group. They are not part of the elected parliament. They are not elected legislators. Who knows what gets up there for this voice? what type of person they are. There's a lot of corruption and criminality in the House and Parliament. So this is the part that I'm confused in with, mate. Like if that's just on what you've just said, that it's only a consultation. That's all they are. So then where does all this other stuff come from? If, if that's it, uh, I'm, I'm just confused about it. Whoever wins the election, yeah, they will be bound by this this amendment to the constitution. To if have, it gets up, if it gets up, uh, Peter Dutton, who knows Peter Dutton and the Conservatives and the and the the Nationals and Liberals may get up again in the next election. Nobody knows. Yep, um, and he might just say, "Well, let's." have another referendum so we can take that out of it. Yeah, and I guess this is a, I, I guess what I, I didn't finish my statement there. This is what I'm confused about, right? Why are we having this whole massive discussion about this and why is there going to be this referendum, which I'm sure is going to cost huge amounts of money, um, if it's literally just an advisory group, why couldn't the government just um, allow – uh, a board of people to and, and why, uh, or, or a board of representatives of the original people, um, and why couldn't they just, uh, as part of their normal processes, why couldn't they just consult with those people anyway? Wh- yeah. Why the referendum? Why the big um, pomp and circumstance around it? <laughs> with a massive cost. That's the insane thing about it, you know. <laughs> they can walk out of their – every politician that's been elected to an office can walk out of their, their office and they can get anybody out there to become an advisor to them Well, without it, being – And that, that you've actually just added to what I was saying. Why couldn't they go and say, right, yeah, well, what we're going to do is we're going to get, say, uh, I don't know, a hundred people and we're going to go and represent all of the people, including the original people, uh, and we're going to do a consultation with them on every decision we make as a 
I guess, a, uh, a final check and balance. Why do we need to go and make this? Uh, why do we need to put lipstick on this pig? Yeah. And make it a massive big thing in the media and uh, change the constitution when it's really not going to do a damn thing. Back in, the, back, anything. back in the 1980s, there was a minister for Aboriginal affairs, his name was Jerry Hearn, and he had his own personal Aboriginal assistant. Um, other members of parliament in in the past have had have engaged in blackfellas as their advisors. Yeah. Um, the system... Without is, making all this big hoo-ha about it? Well... I, I I can't understand why they have to invest so much millions and millions of dollars on something that's already being currently happening now. Gotcha. Um, you know, there's so many people that are homeless. There were so many people that are jobless. There are so many people that have been harmed by this forced vaccination. There's so many people that have mm. lost their jobs because of this forced vaccination. Mate, uh, it's... Um, why should we waste the money that we generate through our goods and services tax to buy submarines made in another place, to buy arms to go to this another endless war? Yeah, yeah, when we've got the technology to do it all ourselves. Australia's been building submarines down at in um, South Australia for the last 30 years. We can build... We've got the intellect to build, you know, any warships, any yeah. any sort of thing. Uh, why do we need to spend $30 billion or $60 billion on submarines? Yeah. When Tony, Tony Abbott was in power and when he was deposed, he budgeted in, in fact, that in 70 of his F-35 fighter jets in America, which cost $70 million each. Yeah, yeah, the, the new At the one, same yeah. time, there were people that were hungry. There were people that were homeless. There were people that were jobless. Mate, it's, it's, you're getting into deep territory there. That, that is, I mean, worldwide. It's the same problem worldwide. Um, why aren't we addressing the, again, coming back to natural law, the needs and the wants of the people? Uh, I remember being in high school and we went through what, what the, the top five needs were or something like it, it. I can't remember the exact terminology, but it was about human needs and it was like uh, safety, shelter, food and water, yeah. essential things, the essential things. Yeah. Um, and, again, we have all of these incredible technologies and the ability here in this country to address all of these things and yet we're constantly being caught up in these um, monumental expenditures and issues surrounding um, how to do everything when we know how to do it already. We've got the resources, we've got the technology, we've got the ability and we've got the people who are motivated to do something. But you know what it is? It's so that we can, it's because we are entrapped or we are enslaved in this system that's made up of 
global elitists uh, who control the world banking system. They control the energy production. They control the resource production. They control the food production more and more because um, just have a look at, um, you know, in America they call it the mum and the pup businesses. In other words, the family-owned farms here in Australia are run out of business through access to water and and issues like that Um, where you have these gigantic corporations that have got way more power than an individual person and they are able to use their massive purchasing powers and legal powers and all the things that they can afford that can just drive an individual person to the ground and ultimately drive a country into the ground and yet we all allow it to happen. Why are we paying? A lot of people don't understand that if you pull um, a 20-buck note out of your wallet, uh, that, that, that money, that currency, that, that fiat fake currency that's backed by nothing other than the paper it's written on, uh, a lot of people don't understand that we're renting that. I remember being a small child going to the Canberra Mint. I believe it's still in Canberra, but the Mint where all of it's printed. And, I, and you know, when you're a little kid and you all sit there with your legs crossed on the yeah. ground and they go, and I'll never forget they, the, I think it was a woman, and it was like a statement like, kids, this is where the government prints the money. And we got to go and do this tour and we saw the coins getting pressed out and the, the dollar bills coming off the off the printing press and all this sort of thing. And only to grow up you know, some 30-plus years later and I realised that it was all a lie. Fake. It's all fake, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, it's owned and operated by the world banking system yeah. um, and that's why you'll get um, – people like I'll never forget a and gosh we're going back some time now but Wayne Swan was the treasurer with the Labor government yeah and um, there was an issue that I can't even remember what it was about now but he made this very fascinating statement on on TV and it was how about him strongly urging the Australian Reserve Bank to make a change yeah and I was thinking at the time, hang on a minute, you're the treasurer. What's this strongly urging business? <laughs> and then I found out that um, it made me start looking more and more into it. And I found out that actually um, the, the, the Australian Reserve Bank is not beholden to the government in any way, shape or form. No, it's an independent body. It's completely separate yeah. and it's owned by the world banking system. It's managed it's it's a representative of the world banking system. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I I think that a lot of people don't get that concept. I think a lot of people don't know even what I'm talking about right now. Yeah, there's a lot of people sleepwalking. Honestly, there is. Um, 1984. 1984. That's where we're at. Yeah. Right, mate. Well, it's been an interesting chat. I don't know. Are we at the end of it? Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Well. <laughs> I want to I want to put it to the, to everybody out there in Radio Land. If a constitution 
can allow totalitarian and authoritarian leaders to take place and they can collectively put us into prison, which is what locking down is, imprison us into our own homes. Mm -hmm. And if they can tell the employees or our employers that they're not to not to um, re-employ anybody unless they've had this experimental drug. Which is still an experiment. Which is still an experiment. If a constitution can create, can create those scenarios, right, they don't, we don't, we don't need that constitution. We don't need that kind of power. We don't need that kind of tyranny. We need to wake up. We do. We want to have a new constitution and we want a republic. Where everyone has equal rights. And we don't want a voice to speak for us, which they don't have the statistics to say that they have the mission Yeah, that they can be a voice. To speak for us. Hey, um, let me just pile on to what you were saying. Uh, federal laws... Uh, preventing, apparently preventing uh, these things that went on in the lockdown, uh, human rights treaties, the whole lot of it uh, became completely irrelevant. Um, they, the, uh, the powers, the government just said, no, nah, that don't apply anymore. Sorry, no, nah, means nothing. This is an emergency it's an emergency and because it was an emergency, we can bring in an experimental drug and force you all to take it. And, and your it, children. And your children and babies, young kids. And um, meanwhile, the prime minister of the country was on the news saying, no, it's not mandatory. But yet it became mandatory through the state governments instead. And by proxy, the freaking employers and the corp- the corporations. They acted as government agents. Yeah. Uh, I put it to my employer at the time. Uh, you're telling me that I've got to hand over all of my medical information to you. Uh, who is going to have access to that medical information? Um, who is it right now and who will it be in the future? And they went, no, no, no. That that's not a, that's not a relevant question. We, you, you, you don't have any right to to ask that question. That that doesn't that doesn't make any sense, Andrew. If a constitution can create create that scenario, what's to stop them from doing it again? It's the constitution, right? Those rules allow those leaders to treat us like that. Mm-hmm. And um, here's another relevant point to it all, which was made by um, effectively Australia's leading constitutional law expert, uh, Professor Augusto Zimmerman, who I've done an interview with. And in that interview, he outlines um, the fact that the Australian governance or the, the laws here in Australia do not institute checks and balances, whoever's in power actually has ultimate power 
all of the apparent checks and balances, they aren't actually checks and balances and don't, don't ever believe that they exist. In America, they've got an oversight committee, you know, from in the Congress where they actually give oversight to both the um, yeah. Senate and the... Uh, and they've got their own Congress. problems, but, but they actually do have checks and balances. Yeah. Like we do. yeah. But um, the, the, the Constitution has, and this um, scamdemic has given rise to militarisation and these other wars that are being created, mm-hmm. endless wars that are being created all around the world. Yeah. Insane. So when, you know, people, we have to have a new constitution. We have to have a republic. We have to have these set of rules that are that are um, um, that are good for us. That are that give us um, freedoms. That give us some say in how we live in our daily lives and in our future and our children's futures. Yeah. Well, Greg Martin, thank you so much for joining me on the 8 News Show. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure. Thank you. And um, just to close out, everyone, I just wanted to um, let you know that uh, if you want to support the 8 News Show, um, you can go on to the8newsshow.shop and pick up one of these amazing T-shirts or one of these hats. Uh, and, uh, again, it's something that I very rarely talk about. I put this in the uh, the intros of the video, but I'm sure not many people really watch that because it is a podcast. Um, it's all about listening. Uh, and, again, um, if you are interested in supporting us by becoming a patron, I'd really, really appreciate that. Uh, I'm only looking for a dollar a month. That would be amazing. People have given a lot more than that, but... Um, I don't know, I kind of feel uncomfortable about that, I really do, and I think uh, if I, I would rather have a 1,000 people giving me $1 a month to support what we're doing here um, because it does cost a fair bit of money to constantly produce these, um, even though I've been a little bit slack on that lately. We are ramping up. Um, what you're looking at right here right now is the beginnings of a studio set right here in my own living room. Um, we're going to hopefully develop that a little bit more and it's going to get better and better. And um, uh, I've got some fantastic guests coming up. I just want to let you know about that. Uh, Dr. Sally Price from one of the founders of AMPS is going to be here soon. Um, I've got a lady who's a sexologist. Very, very interesting lady. Got a lot of things to say about, um, you guessed it, uh, some of the things that are going on in society today around um, forcing children to become an opposite sex. I don't want to say too much about that right now, but um, there's some interesting things coming up. Anyway, so with that being said, thank you once again for being with me today on the 8 News Show. And until the next time, bye for now. Thank you.